Just our real estate episode number 306. I would say more than half the deals I've done in the last six years have been thanks to the relationships I've built with my quote unquote competitors. All right, guys, welcome to Just Our Real Estate. My name is Mike Simmons. I am your host, and I'm really excited that you're with me today. I'm excited to bring the interview to, to you today that I'm bringing you. And in fact, what I'm doing is I am bringing back the most popular interview I have done to date. Now, this is episode number 306. So I have interviewed just a ton of really great investors, house flippers, buy and hold investors, wholesalers. I mean, just some incredible people who gave us some incredible insight into their business. This, though, is the number one downloaded episode I have done on this podcast since I started. The interview is with Jay Scott. He is a house flipper. He is just an incredible, incredible investor, a very smart guy, does everything the right way, and it was such a great interview. It's no wonder that it was the most downloaded and most popular interview that I have done so far. So I am really excited to bring it to you. In fact, it is, it's a long interview and it's chock full of really good information. I'm gonna break it down into smaller chunks. So I'm gonna divide it in half actually. So I'm gonna play the first half of the interview for you today. Next Monday, you'll get the second half of the interview. And I know a lot of you probably have not heard this one yet because I did it, I mean, going on a year ago uh, is when I actually interviewed him. So I'm sure there's a lot of people who haven't heard it. If you have heard it, like I've heard it, I'm going to re-listen to it. I suggest you re-listen to it. Again, the most popular interview I've done to date, guys. It's a great one, and I suggest you really settle in and and listen closely because uh, Jay is just amazing, and he, he really dishes the good. So take a listen to part one. Next week, we will have part two, and I'm excited to bring it to you. But before we get started, I want to give a shout out and some love to our new sponsor, LandlordStation.com. LandlordStation.com is a one-stop shop for small landlords. They offer tenant screening, and you know if you listen to the show for any length of time, I have screwed up royally when it comes to screening tenants. You must screen your tenants. You must do a good job of that, or you are going to be really sorry. It's going to cost you thousands of dollars, and LandlordStation.com offers tenant screening for you guys that alone makes it worthwhile but when you get there you're going to be very happy to find out that they also offer online rent payment software and services they offer e-signatures document storage and rental applications. They literally have everything you need. Go check them out. I highly suggest that you go there and sign up and give them a shot. If you go to the website on the right-hand side, click on the Landlord Station banner and you will get 50% off of tenant screening. That's awesome. That alone is is worth the time to go there and check it out. So go there, check it out. Go to the website, landlordstation.com. Tell them I sent you right in there. uh, Just start into the box, the promo code, just start, and you will get 50% off of tenant screening. I hope you go check them out. Okay, thank you for joining me on another episode of Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being here, and I'm really excited. I've got a guest on today that I've had my eye on for a while to get on the show. He's a very, very busy guy, so I am extremely honored and thrilled to have him on the show. I have on the show today Jay Scott. Jay is a full-time real estate investor who specializes in rehabbing single-family homes and building new construction spec houses. Jay and his wife, Carol, started investing in 2008 and since have purchased purchased and rehabbed and resold nearly 
$15 million in residential real estate. Learn more about Jay and his flipping business at his blog, 123flip.com. Jay, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, Mike. Glad to be here. Thrilled to be here, actually. Yeah, this is awesome. I didn't tell you. We spoke for a minute before we, we went live here. Uh, I've been following you for a while, specifically on Bigger Pockets, but I've also been to your website quite a bit. So I'm, I'm somewhat of a stalker, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, I just really appreciate what you're doing. And your website is just, it's, you know, it's chock full of such great stuff. I, I lose myself on there and start, you know, wandering through the blog posts and, and reading. And it's just great stuff, super educational. And, uh, you know, I know over on bigger pockets you're extremely busy over there answering questions and helping out the folks so it's awesome man i've been following you for a while well it, it goes both ways mike uh i actually hadn't heard of your blog until you contacted me a few months ago and since then i've been trying to catch up i know you have a hundred and i think close to 120 some uh interviews or, or podcasts yeah. you're gonna be when this comes out you're gonna it's gonna be somewhere around 136 or something like that well, I'm about 25 in, so give me four weeks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> will do. Will do. Um, so I want to get into this. I definitely want to get into your business. You flip just a ton of property. And you, like I said, you're somebody who I, I genuinely respect. And I, you know, it's one of those things when you when you follow someone on the internet follow a blog or blog post or you know whatever you feel, kind of feel like you know the person a little bit or at least you have a real good understanding of their philosophies and their business and based on all of the reading that I've done of things that you've written and people that you've been helping uh, over the last several years I just really I know that you know your stuff and it's I'm really excited to have you talk about your business today and kind of get into this the rehabbing and I know you're into new construction now as well um, and I definitely want to talk about that and why you're doing that. But let's start kind of at the beginning. And I, you know, you've been interviewed on other shows, and, and you're you're somewhat of a celebrity here on in, in terms of going on podcasts for real estate. But let's go over your background again briefly for people who don't know. Where how did you start in real estate? Why did you start in real estate? Sure. Um, actually, I got into real estate pretty late in life. Um, my wife still jokes that uh, I'm. To this day, still not allowed to change a light bulb in our house. <laughs> I'm not a construction guy. Yeah. Um, I'm not your typical real estate guy. I actually started in the corporate world. Uh, I have an electrical engineering degree. Um, I did the uh, the corporate thing for a long time. Uh, worked for a number of, of tech companies, Microsoft, eBay, DirecTV. Uh, did all that sort of stuff for about 15 years. I met my wife back in 2006. We worked together at, at the same company. And when we decided to get married in 2008, uh, we were both working 80-hour weeks. We were both traveling three or four weeks a month, Jeez. never saw each other, never really had time to, to, to form a relationship. And it certainly wasn't a good recipe for starting a family, which is what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so we made the joint decision that we were going to quit our jobs and we were going to figure out something new to do. But we had no idea what that new thing was going to be. Wow. That, I mean, you know what? I think that's interesting for a couple things. Number one, <clears throat> you're working 80 hours a week. Now, when you were working those kind of hours, did you get your start in real estate while you were working? Was it one of those situations or did you just do cold turkey? I want to do real estate quitting my job. So uh, real estate was going to be a hobby. Okay. Um, we were, we were going to quit our jobs. We were going to figure out some other business or, or some, other, some other form of making money. And uh, at the time I decided 
I like real estate. I've always thought about real estate. I know nothing about real estate. I'm going to learn a little bit and make it a hobby while we're doing something new. Gotcha. So I'd say about a year before we quit our jobs, we put the plan in place uh, to, to leave. Um, and so I spent about a year studying, putting together plans, reading different blogs. I actually started on bigger pockets about a year before, uh, before I ever started investing. Um, and I started writing a little bit. I actually started working on my website, uh, a few months before I ever quit my job thinking, okay, I need some accountability for, for doing something when I quit my job. Right. Um, I don't know what business I'm going to start. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm going to kind of jump into this real estate thing and create a website and it'll keep me accountable for actually doing something and, and trying to make a little bit of money uh, after after I quit my job. And my wife and I moved from California to Atlanta back in 2008. Um, we were we moved in May. We were getting married in, in August and the the discussion was by August we'll figure out what to do. So um, – from a real estate side, I was looking at doing some multifamily investment, some buy and holds, didn't really know what. Um, it was June of 2008. My wife and I were sitting in, in our house. We were watching uh, TV. I think it, there was HGTV show on. And <laughs> it was a typical 2008. Everything was house flipping shows. Yep. And my wife said, hey, we're not really doing anything this summer. We're not going to really start whatever business we're going to start um, in, for a couple more months until after we get married. Let's flip a house. <laughs> and I thought she was joking. Um, turns out she was completely serious. Those shows don't exactly make it look easy or fun or anything. I mean, I guess at the end there's big dollars, but it looks miserable during you know during the rehab. My wife is she's a designer, so I don't think she cared about the unfun parts. <laughs> she wanted to go in and say, decorate, "Let's yeah. put this here and decorate this and yeah. use these colors." That's all she cared about. <laughs> um, and I thought she was joking, and so I jokingly said, "Sure, let's do it." Um, and little did I know, but at that point, I made a commitment to flip my first house. Um, it was two days before our wedding that we actually put the first one under contract. Um, and within two weeks after that, we put two more under contract. And uh, I, I think within the first couple months, we did four or five. And wow. it just it, it went from just uh, just a lark, something, hey, let, let's do this, to what turned out to be our business for the last six years. Well, let me ask you then. Okay, so you kind of decided on a lark, and next thing you know, three or four houses a few months later, how did you fund them? Was it your own? I would assume it was your own money. You hadn't made contacts or kind of gotten that serious about it. So we were lucky to start with a little bit of cash. The first okay. one we funded with our own cash. Um, by the second one, we were hesitant to put in any more of our own cash because we weren't quite sure we knew what we were doing. <laughs> right. um, if anything, we were pretty sure we didn't know what we were doing. Um, so we started looking at other options. For our second deal, um, and in retrospect, this is actually still a little bit funny. Um, for our second deal, we actually went conventional financing. Okay. Now. I didn't realize back then was conventional financing is great if you're going to buy a move-in ready house. If you're going to buy a house that is not move-in ready, that's somewhat distressed, that needs work, it can be really, really tough to get a conventional loan. Right. Um, we had a house that was borderline move-in ready, but there were a couple little issues. The hot water heater didn't work, and there was no stove in the house. And those are two things that, uh, that a conventional loan, you're just not going to get through underwriting without those things being yeah. remedied. Yep. 
This was a foreclosure. Uh, the bank absolutely refused to, fit, to to replace the hot water heater or put in a stove. It was it was basically an as-is sale. We had put a decent amount of earnest money down. We were past our financing contingency when we found out that the bank didn't want to fund the loan. Yeah. So we essentially begged the bank to let us go in before closing with our own cash, install a new hot water heater, and install a stove. The bank said, great, you can do it, but if for some reason you don't close, we're keeping it. So so basically, add to our earnest money another $1,500 in repairs that we did before closing. Oh, wow. And and we really needed to close this deal. Yeah. Ultimately, we got it closed, um, but I did learn a, an important lesson there about trying to use conventional financing for uh, for, for rehab deals. You know, that's funny. Uh, my first deal that my wife and I ever did, we're, we're partners in our business as well. The first deal that we ever did, we, we, we uh, financed it with conventional financing. We went through a mortgage company, basically, and got a mortgage. And we didn't have, I mean, I guess there was a stove and hot, there wasn't anything fundamental that was missing. It needed, you know, a, a kind of a light rehab, but that's exactly what we did. We did conventional financing. We pushed our savings, you know, to the center of the table, basically, for the for the rehab money. And, and that's how we did our first one. So that's interesting. I guess I didn't think about the fact that you're right. You'll never get through underwriting without basic necessities in the house. They just won't, they don't look at it that way. Same way we do, yep. at least. So isn't it and, funny, and though? Oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, going quickly back though, to the uh, the rehab shows that you watched that sort of inspired your wife. As someone who's flipped quite a few houses, to say the least, since then, isn't it funny how poorly they estimate the rehab cost in all those shows? Does it just blow your mind? <laughs> it's funny. I always assume that those things are completely scripted. Have to be, right? They have to be. You'd be the worst all-time investor if every single time you missed your rehab by $30,000, $40,000. And yet they still make another thirty or 40000 Exactly. And it always turns up roses for them. If I lost exactly. thirty or forty in a house deal, I would be... Uh, I would definitely not be making money. I, I don't know about where, where you are in Maryland there, but uh, in my market in Michigan, a typical deal, a very run-of-the-mill deal is buy it for 60 to 80 and sell it for 150 to 160 somewhere in there. I mean, that's a standard deal. And there's usually about, you know, you shoot for twenty to $25,000 in profit. So if I lost $20,000 on every deal, I would be I would be not making money. Those are pretty much the exact same numbers I've been working with the last two years, both in Atlanta and Maryland. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I always thought that was interesting because it's funny. We started in 2008 as well, my wife and I, and we watched those shows too, and all the you know all the the cast of characters that were in those shows, and just screaming their lungs out at contractors and missing the rehab, and you know didn't realize that it needs a new roof and. You know, it, it scared the crap out of my wife. She's not someone who's really into like risk. So, you know, it, it didn't. It, I actually, for a while there, I, I just tried to avoid those shows because, if anything, they were they were pushing her away from the idea of of uh, real estate investing. So, yeah, they they were interesting, but they were became detrimental because we were in the middle of flips while we were watching these shows, and it was just scaring the hell out of her. Well, we certainly, it was eye-opening for us. We, um, back in 2010, we were actually approached by a producer for one of those shows um, that really, they were looking for people and, and they were interested in talking to us. And we ended up putting together several videos, basically, I guess, um, um, interview type um, uh, demo, demo reel type videos. Okay. And basically, they came back and they said, you know, you guys are just way too boring for this. <laughs> It's probably one of the best compliments I've gotten. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Turn down for a TV show. Yeah, any any rehab that's exciting by definition is really not what you want. <laughs> it's funny. Exactly. So, 
Okay, I got a, I got a pretty good idea of where you've come from and, and how you got started. What does your business look like today? Let's fast forward to 2014. How, what are you working on and, and what does your business look like as it stands today? Well, it's funny. We've gone through a lot of changes the last uh, 8 to 12 months. Um, we spent 2008 through 2013 or the first half of 2013 in Atlanta. Um, we got to know the market really well. Uh, we had a small slice of Atlanta, um, one of the west suburbs, uh, where we were probably one of the, the, the largest or the, the from a volume standpoint, one of the largest uh, rehabbers, which doesn't say much. Atlanta is a huge area, and there were a lot of guys that were doing 10, 20, 30, 40 times as many deals as we were. Um, but we did find this one little niche area where we were just we were doing a lot of deals, and things were pretty easy and comfortable. And in 2013, we decided to to make a big move. I'm originally from Maryland. We have two little kids, um, ages three and four, who are getting ready to start school. Um, Schools in Atlanta, public schools in Atlanta aren't that great. Um, public schools in Maryland are a lot better. Just so. lost my entire Atlanta listeners. All right, I, I, I love it. <laughs> I'm I kidding. It. I, I still do have deals in Atlanta. I still have part. <laughs> I love it. Um, I just don't want to send my kids to gotcha. school. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so we decided to make a big move up to Maryland. Um, it was a great personal decision. From a business standpoint, um, it was pretty disruptive. Uh, we got up here. I grew up here, but it's been 15 years since I've lived here. Sure. So the last uh, – we actually got up here in November. And the last six months or so have been essentially starting over for a business, um, learning new areas, meeting other investors, trying to find wholesalers, uh, trying to find uh, team members from contractors to agents to, to lenders to closing uh, attorneys and, and title companies. Um, it, it's it's a good reminder to me of what a lot of people are going through when they're just starting out in this business. And it's real easy after several years of having it easy, um, to use that word too often, um, it, it's real easy to forget about how tough it is to start out. Yeah. And so this has been a, a good eye opener for us. And it, it really, it reminds us that this is a tough business to be in. And, and so uh, we're getting there, but we're, we're essentially starting over the last few months in a new location basically from scratch. Wow. You know, that's interesting because you, you, like you said, you established yourself in Atlanta and you had a business going that, and I've heard you talk on other podcasts, like I said, where it, it was starting to get a little easy and, and not super, you know, not real challenging and maybe to use the word boring. I don't know if that's fair, but that's so now you've moved back to Maryland and, and what I really would like to dig into a little bit is, I mean, it was just great what you were saying. I'd like to know uh, from the perspective of someone who's actually done this, I, I asked this question a lot of my of my um, of the people that I interview where I say if you had to start over again from scratch how would you do it but you're actually doing it so if you don't mind let, can we walk through a little bit some of the steps some of the fundamental number one number two building blocks of how do you do this how do you build a uh, your business back in a different city where ba essentially you've lost all your contacts and all the people that you normally would deal with how do you start what are, what are the first couple of three to five things you have to do uh, absolutely uh, I think the very first and, and the most important thing is to build a network. Um, there's a lot of data out there. You can get access to the MLS. You can drive neighborhoods. Um, you can you can read the paper. Um, there's a lot of data out there. Um, but first and foremost, the absolute best source of information in any market is going to be the people that are actually doing it in that market. Yeah. Um, so meet other investors, um, whether it be online or actually in person. Um, I'm lucky. Um, 
Baltimore and I'm actually between Baltimore and DC, um, is a huge metro area. Um, there's gotta be at least five or 10 different, uh, uh, investor associations here. Um, thousands of investors, which is good and bad. I mean, from, from the competition standpoint, it's bad, but from a, um, having people to network with and to learn from, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost is is start to network with other people who are really doing it in that area. Um, don't be scared to ask your competition for help because ultimately, I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that, that believes there's, there's enough to go around and I'm always happy to help somebody when I believe it's going to come back to me. Yep. I love so, that. I love that. That's, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad you said that. It's definitely something I think people have an unreasonable fear of. They don't want to, they don't want to talk to the quote competition because they're going to take all the houses. There's just no way in the world, especially in a big area like you're in, there's just no way in the world they're going to take all the houses. There's always going to be deals out there. I would say more than half the deals I've done in the last six years have been thanks to the relationships I've built with my quote unquote competitors. Yeah. Um, had I never met any of those people, had I never chosen to, uh, to, to, to work or to, to be involved with any of those people, I'd have probably literally have done half as many deals as I have. That's so, awesome. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Your competitors, it, it, there's a, there's a very fine line between competitors and partners. Yep. Um, and, and so yeah, that, that would be my first piece of advice. Second, finding a great real estate agent. Um, I'm lucky. My wife is a great real estate agent. Um, give her access to the MLS and and she'll learn the ins and outs of an area in, in a week. Um, awesome. She's really good at, at, at mining data and just getting a big picture overview and then diving into the details. And that's essentially what a great agent's going to do for you. They're going to be able to steer you in the right direction. They may not be able to tell you, buy this house, don't buy that house. Um, but what they're going to tell you is the the ratio of distress pricing in this area to retail pricing in this area is huge. And what that means, and this is a, 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 big, uh, a, a big statistic I use in my business, um, the difference between what you can buy distressed properties for and what you can sell retail properties for is generally a great indicator of how good of a, a flipping market it is. Yeah. So, for example, if you're buying foreclosures or foreclosures in general are selling for 90 cents on the dollar um, and selling at market value, a dollar on the dollar, um, that 10% difference is not going to be enough to support all your rehab costs, all your holding costs, and your profit. Definitely. Um, but if you're finding distressed properties that are 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar um, that you can then sell at market value, um, that 50, 60, 70 percent delta is plenty to account for your holding costs, your rehab costs, and your profit. Yeah. So, so that, that's one big statistic I look for. And what I found is a lot of real estate agents, um, they don't think about – distressed in retail properties in those terms, but they have that information. And if you can help them access that information in their brains, if you can really get them to think in those terms, they have that information and they can tell you, yeah, I, I know that that area, this particular over, uh, area over here, things tend to sell for really low when they're in bad condition, but when they're in good condition, they sell for just as much as everywhere else in the state. Yeah. And those are the places I want to be, exactly. as opposed to the areas where they say, yeah, the stuff in bad condition over here pretty much sells, sells for market value anyway, because everybody wants to live there. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, a great real estate agent. So is definitely number two thing we did. First, okay. I started networking with people. Number two, I found a great real estate agent that that knew the area really well. Uh, we spent a few days driving around. Ultimately, I didn't do any deals with that agent, and I, and I feel bad about that. He he didn't bring me anything worthwhile, um, but he was tremendously helpful in my business. And nice. and so um, that that's what I would say in terms of people talk about building a team. Um, I would say a team is great, but the by far the most important member of your team at first is going to be a, a great real estate agent. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And when you find one, treat him or her like gold because they can make the difference between success and failure in this business. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so um, so those were the two big things I did when I moved into the area. Uh, my wife got licensed in Maryland, so I'm a big believer in in getting MLS access and okay. in a lot of places the 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 only legal way to do that is to get your license um, some places that's not true you can get you can get access by being an assistant or, or other ways um, but um, but my wife chose to get licensed and having access to the MLS for me when you when you start in a new location is certainly something that's really going to put you steps ahead of the competition uh, Good. Now, are you finding, I just wanted to say, I, I know when I started my business in 2008, you could find deals on the MLS all day long. It really was actually relatively easy. It, now, you were saying that, in your opinion, getting that ML access is important. And I, I agree with you, but I'm wondering how many of your deals are you finding on the MLS versus marketing or word of mouth or just networking like you talked about? How many pure MLS deals are you finding? I haven't found a deal off the MLS in a year and a half. Okay, <laughs> that's that's um, kind of that's kind of where I'm at. That's what I'm thinking too, as far as my area. So okay, and yet I'm on the MLS not every day anymore, but at least three or four times a week. Now, was that um, just a matter of just watching the market, understanding what houses are selling for, that kind of thing? Exactly. Okay. I want to I want to see where the where the distress sales are coming from, uh, what they're selling for, what the trends are. Um, I want to see what retail sales are selling for. I want to know what areas that are, are trending up, what areas are trending down, what areas are, are staying flat. Um, I want to know where the cash sales are because that's where my competition is. Um, and a lot of people say, well, if you have a lot of competition in one area, go to another area. Actually, I look at it the other way. Um, if, if you're entering a new market, um, you want to find out where the cash sales are yeah. um, because the smart investors, that's where they're investing. Um, <laughs> Isn't that kind of the like the Burger King model? They just figured out where McDonald's was and they put, set up shop across the street. You don't have to and, do any market research that way. And as bad as it sounds, it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and and I, I, I hate the fact that I mean, literally in Atlanta, there were people that were doing that to us. They would look at the neighborhoods we were investing in and they would follow us in. Yeah. And as much as I hated that, um, I had to give them some credit because <laughs> that's I do I would do the same thing and I do do the same thing uh, with my competition when I'm going into a new market. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely um, it's it, I don't consider that to be unethical in the least. Um, you're looking for your own deals. And, and again, um, you should be meeting those people and you should be figuring out how to help them as much as, as they're helping you. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's another piece of advice um, and another thing that we've done. And then the other thing we've actually been pretty lucky with in Maryland that we weren't so lucky with in, in Atlanta is there are a decent number of good wholesalers here. Um, I'm not to say there aren't decent wholesalers in Atlanta, um, but Atlanta, there was a lot more competition for deals. 
Um, And I think a lot of the the good wholesalers down there would get shut out quickly because there were so many investors that that could pounce on deals. In Maryland, there are a lot of investors, um, but there aren't a lot of highly seasoned investors. So many of the wholesalers here are able to pounce on those deals before an investor can. And I've found that, that we've picked up so far this year, uh, one in January, one in February, one in March, we've picked up three wholesale deals um, in, in Maryland. In Atlanta, we picked up one in five years. Wow. Uh, wow. So when I say picked up wholesale deals, I mean deals from a wholesaler. Yeah, right. Exactly. Now, so, can I ask you real quick, as far as dealing with a wholesaler, I get this question from listeners from time to time. What do you – okay, let's back up for a minute. What do you consider or how do you qualify from a financial standpoint? How do you qualify a flip as being a good deal or not a good deal? Do you use a general rule of thumb? What criteria do you use? And then the next question what, what that I was going to ask is when you go and, and, you, and you meet with a, a wholesaler or talk to a wholesaler, how do you convey to them what you consider a good deal? Sure. Um, my formula is pretty simple. And um, if anybody's listening to this and, and wants to write it down, it'll be a little bit more obvious if you if you write it down and can actually see it. But my formula is basically the amount I'm willing to pay um, is the ARV, so the after repair value, what the house will sell for when it's fixed up, um, minus the purchase price, minus the rehab costs, minus the fixed costs. Um, um, did I say that right? Uh, after repair value minus um, purchase price, rehab costs, yeah. um, and and fixed Fix costs. Stuff. Yep. Um, and that'll be in the show notes, by the way. All this, everything we talk about here is going to be in the show notes. So please, if you're driving, don't try to scratch this down. I swear, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, so basically, what what that means is um, if you add up the purchase price plus your rehab costs, um, plus all your fixed costs. I, and I consider fixed costs, uh, all your holding costs, your commissions, your fees. For me, those account for, those are about 10% of the resale price. Yep. Um, and, and then you add in, um, um, your profit number. Uh, that's basically your all in value, um, okay. or your all in cost. Yeah. Um, and I think I did a really bad job of just saying, <laughs> let, let me try that one more time. Okay, go for it. Um, Let's use an example. Um, if I have a house and I know that it's selling for, uh, it, I can resell it for two hundred thousand um, dollars after it's fixed up. Um, I start with the number two hundred thousand um, dollars. From that, I'm going to subtract what I think the rehab costs are. Um, let's say in this case, I think the rehab costs are fifty thousand okay. dollars. So so far we have two hundred thousand minus fifty thousand. Um, next I'm going to subtract out, um, my fixed costs and these are holding costs, things like taxes, insurance, lawn care, um, all those things, all my commissions that I'm going to pay to real estate agents, all my closing costs, all my fees, um, all of those things. Those things tend to be about 10% of the resale value. So in a typical $200,000 sale, my fixed costs are going to be about $20,000. Okay. Um, so so far we have the two hundred thousand minus the fifty thousand in rehab costs minus the twenty thousand in fixed costs. Sure. Lastly, I'm going to subtract out the profit that I want to make. In general, the profit I want to make is about fifteen percent or at least fifteen percent of that resale value. So in this example, the resale value is two hundred thousand dollars. I want my minimum profit to be at least thirty thousand dollars. Gotcha. So we take 
again, the 200000 we subtract out the 50000 in rehab costs, yep. the 20000 in fixed costs, and the 30000 in in my desired profit. And 200000 minus 50 minus 20 minus 30 is $100,000. Got it. That, that's the price I can pay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, and it's really that simple. Um, and I can say to a wholesaler, figure out what the resale value is. Hopefully they can figure that it's somewhere around two hundred thousand. Um, figure out about what the uh, what the rehab costs are going to be. Hopefully they can get somewhere in the range of about fifty thousand. Right. Um, use my formula of ten percent of the the resale value as my fixed cost, the twenty thousand, and use my formula of fifteen percent of the the resale value as my profit number. And you can figure out exactly what I'm going to pay. Yep. So basically, all they need to be able to figure out is the resale value and the rehab number, uh, the rehab cost number, and they know exactly what I'm going to pay. If they can get close to those two numbers, they can figure out what I'm 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 willing to pay for the deal. Got it. They can then subtract out their their desired profit on the deal, and that's what they can sell it to me for. Gotcha. Awesome. I like that. That's that's it's simple and uh, it makes sense. And it's actually it's very very similar to what I do too. I, I start with the ARV and just start subtracting away from there. Uh, as far as the fixed costs, I guess I did have a, that ten percent rule. I sort of yeah. I, I guess I, I was I was in that range, but I didn't have a, a hard and fast ten percent rule. But I like that. That's 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 very easy to. Despite the fact that you thought you didn't explain it well, you did. I, I was writing it down though, so maybe that helped me. But it's very simple to follow, and I think it's very sound. It's very safe and sound, and, and it makes a lot of sense. So I like that. It's good. All right, guys, that was the first half of the interview. What did I tell you? Great, great stuff. Jay is awesome, and I can't wait to bring you the second half next week. So tune in on Monday of next week to hear the second half of the interview, and uh, and, and it's just great stuff. Bring the notepad. Bring the pencil. You are going to love it. Okay, until next time, if investing in real estate is your dream, there's only one way you can make it a reality. Just start. 